just when I thought I was out, they reel me back slightly closer than out. A win is a win, this week on Pod Like a Raven. They didn't make it look pretty. They didn't blow anybody out. But they came out with a win. They beat a divisional opponent. They have a winning record again. I'm in a slightly better mood. I'm not all the way back. But I'm feeling a little bit better about this team after a pounding, gut-wrenching performance that finally ended in a 23-20 victory over the Browns. I am Antonio Barbera. I'm bringing in my co-hosts, starting on the West Coast, Jace Evans. Jace, I'm like, I already lost here. Like, they had a 10-point lead, and they didn't blow it, and they somehow won a football game, and the Ravens are 4-3. and three. How are we doing over there on the West Coast? Uh, I'll say mixed mix bag, mixed bag of emotions. Uh, so a lot of good, a lot of bad. Great to get a win. Better than the alternative, that's for sure. Uh, but I think I'm still... Um, you know, uh, the, uh, the the problems that this team have and has, I think, were still very obvious <laughs> and on display in Sunday's game. But it's always good to beat the Browns. Uh, and, you know, it's, you're 2-0 in the division. That's great. Uh, so, all in all, you know, I'm not, like, bursting at the seams with joy, but I'd say I'm pleasantly, I was pleasantly surprised almost that they didn't fully collapse uh, Sunday afternoon. Uh and yeah, so, all in all, doing well. Tim, on the East Coast, how's it going? Yeah, I'm trying on a, a different coat today. I'm going to be positive. You know what? There was, there was plenty of mistakes. There was plenty of mind-blowing, frustrating plays. There was plenty of holds that weren't called. There was plenty of holding on to the football by a certain quarterback to not get the ball out. But then there were also Browns tears. And there was whining and bitching and moaning about a false start that was actually a false start, guys. Look at the tape. And the Ravens just beat an AFC North opponent. They have more AFC North wins than they did at all season last year, which, you know, is embarrassing, but that's fine. So I'm choosing to be positive. The Ravens just beat the Browns. They're on top of the AFC North, and they did it by throwing the ball 16 times and running it 44 times. Sounds good to me, baby. Ravens football, it's not back, and I'm with Jace. The team still stinks, and there are definitely problems that we need to, to, we need to talk about and discuss. But I'm going to be positive today. The Ravens beat the Browns, and we've been too miserable on this podcast, and rightly so, but we've been too miserable. So this time, I'm, and I'm sure I'll yell and scream about something here in about 20 minutes or so. I'm going to choose to be positive at this very moment in time about the Ravens get a victory over Cleveland, which is always just... Oh. So, so sweet. And, uh, yeah, now we get to talk about it. So I'm feeling good, man. I'm feeling pretty good. Yeah. Need a little bit of levity this week after all three of us were in a a sad, dark place uh, with the 3-3 football team. They had the the Super Bowl team was back for this game at the stadium, 10-year anniversary. They had, like, 95% of the roster for in attendance for this, which was pretty fantastic. I was pretty surprised. Four or five guys still in the league, so they couldn't come to the uh, to celebrate. And it was the spirit of that Super Bowl winning team that actually knew how to close out games that I think uh, I think did it for for this team finally. Or it was just the Browns, uh, as Tim mentioned, the Browns Brownsing because they made some mistakes late in this game that we will get to. But 
I want to talk about first some positives, and I'm going to start with the biggest positive, and it was Gus Bus Edwards. For the first time all season, the Ravens got a player, one of those long-injured players, and in their first game back, looked like the player that we had lost, as opposed to the shell of a player, or, well, he's only going to play you know, half of a play, and he's going to run off the field before Lamar Jackson actually throws the ball, or he's going to play in the second quarter, but not the third quarter, because he's allergic to the third quarter, and then we'll see how he, we'll see if he still has the sniffles in the fourth quarter. It was the Gus Bus performance that we always knew, scoring touchdowns, converting third downs, dragging players at first contact, scoring a touchdown on the goal line on fourth down. Guys, it's got to feel pretty good to have an above-average running back, actually play the majority of a game, get carries, and get yards and production. Might have been the most important player for the Ravens winning this tough division game. And a guy who doesn't subtweet and use his agent to subtweet about getting more playing time when he was actually injured. A guy that seems like he cares about the team. A guy that has a hard running style that epitomizes Ravens football. A guy that, after what? Oh, let's see. I don't know. Call it total of 16 games in three years maybe maybe a little bit more I guess 18 20 thinks that he's the next greatest thing since sliced bread it's nice having guts Edwards and not JK Dobbins and this result I'm not gonna lie kind of gave me a little bit of like a screw this JK guy we know who RB1 is in this building and it's hard running Gus the bus Edwards it was so fun to see him out there why he wasn't out there late in the game Again, and why Justice Hill is getting carries in the fourth quarter is mind-numbing. I was screaming at the television of, like, why are they doing this again? Don't give me this pitch count bullcrap. He's clearly fine. Give him the rock and don't give it to Justice Hill, which almost cost this game. And that would have been that would have been another fire and brimstone episode of Pod Like a Raven if that ended up causing the loss, by the way, when Gus wasn't playing. But when he was out there, no nonsense. Hit the hole. Fall forward. A guy that, again, like I said, epitomizes Ravens football and the thing that you love about it. And then you see the post game as well. If you if you saw, he got a game ball, and he goes out and does a thing. You know, talks to the team. He breaks the huddle, or whatever. He's got four or five on his wristbands for Jalen Ferguson. A guy that cares. A guy that wants to be there. And it was just when I saw he was active, and then he starts the game, man. And Jace, you could talk more about this. It was just like, oh, here we go. The bus is back, and this is. This is what we needed. This might maybe, questionably, the most important guy that we'd missed. And he's a running back. And just for, you know, a little bit in jest, maybe a little bit hyperbole. But the the, the dynamism and the game-changing sort of attitude that he was able to bring by, based on his style of play was just oh, such a breath of fresh air. And you know what? Give him 20 to 25 carries a game for the rest of the year, man. Just let's beat it down people's throats. And, like, let's let's just get back to that. Lamar contract year? Yeah, you're throwing the ball 12 times a game because Gus <laughs> is getting fed and he's going to rack up 125 to 150 yards a game because he averages, what, five to six yards a carry because he's an absolute monster. It was, it was all positives outside of the, you know, not getting the ball because who knows what the hell was going up there with Meatball Roman. Uh, but, you know, outside of that, very, very good. It it really w- did feel like you you with without him being there you didn't realize like how big a piece he is of the Ravens' identity and for me it was it was just such a heartening moment 
uh, right at the beginning of the game with him. Well, because just to walk you through my emotions, I was in a weird headspace going into this game. You know, the Ravens are three and three. Normally, the night before a game, I'm either very excited or very nervous. I didn't really feel anything uh, the night before <laughs> before this game. I kind of just went to bed, set my alarms, woke up, turned on the game, and just, you know, they have this Super Bowl celebration. And that even put me in a weird place because I'm thinking, 10 years was a long time ago. The reason all these guys are on hand to celebrate is because they're all retired. Uh, the You know, the 45-some guys you mentioned, Antonio. Uh you know, and you're like, that's a long time ago. Ray Lewis is a 47-year-old man. The Ravens have really only come close to an AFC title game once in those last 10 years, in my opinion. And so that kind of put me in a weird place. And then you watch the Browns on the back of that uh, ceremony just march right down the field. They face one-third, one-fourth down, score a touchdown. They're up seven to nothing. First, first quarter touchdown the Browns have scored all year, by the way. And I'm like... You know, I'm not in a great place at this moment. I'm just like, okay, well, this is this is what this Ravens team is. And then the Ravens offense takes the field. And Gus gets the ball on the first carry. Gus gets the ball on the second carry. Gus gets the ball on the third carry. Four yards, three yards, 12 yards. It For me, it was just such a statement. And, you know, we followed it through uh, the whole rest of the game. Uh, just pounding the rock and... He, he's he's such a good player to root for. You know, he finishes with 16 for 66 yards with two touchdowns. But that first series, it just really lifted my spirits for this team and, like, you know, reminded me what I love about the Ravens, what I love about this team, Gus Edwards. Uh, he's just a fun player to root for, you know. His story's great. And, like, you know, Tim said, he, he's a guy who cares. And this is a dumb point, but obviously Gus is one of my favorite players on the team. And I realized with him back on the field, it's like, Oh, yeah, it's fun to root for players you have a connection to and care about. And, like, you know, no offense to your Devontae Freemans or your Latavius Murrays. They tried their best. Don't care. Yeah, they they tried their best last year. But you're like, wow, this is a guy, the Ravens, you know, a free agent, right? They didn't even draft him. But he comes in out of Rutgers, and he just has this, you know, he produces 700 yards every year. is just plows ahead for five yards of carry every year of his career. To, to get him back on the field was just so uplifting. And I think, you know, set the tone, giving him those carries early, set the tone for this game. And I think maybe who this team will be, can be, should be uh, the rest of the season, I think, was on display the rest of the game. Yeah, you want that 2019 Ravens offense, maybe with a bit more dynamism. That That is like this recipe that we're looking for with this Ravens team, as Lamar Jackson is obviously a bit more developed than he was in 2019 especially as a passer and Gus Bus is a guy who was a core member of the 2019 success so get one of those pieces back who actually looks like he's at a hundred percent immediately did as you mentioned with those first three carries I had no expectation that he was going to play in this game much less start in this game I may have I may have complained a little bit in the text thread about uh how he wasn't ready for week one, wasn't even close to the point that he had to be put on IR. And then the minute IR, that time period was up, he was like, oh, he's the starter. Yeah, he's, he's going <laughs> to lead the team in carries and start um, the, the first week that he's eligible. So that is a little bit of a question mark to me. But yeah, Jace, it is more fun to root for like the Liberian-born three-star recruit who had to transfer from Miami to Rutgers to get more carries 
is an undrafted free agent, sticks in Baltimore, has all this, you know, I think he's averaged five yards per carry for his career, is one of the most successful running backs in the league at a young age in terms of breaking tackles and not going down at first contact. And that's like the Baltimore, sort of the Baltimore aspect to it of like, you want to root for this team. We used to be the defensive team. If we're going to be the offensive team, give us the Gus Edwards type guys, you know, the the Pat Ricard type guys, the Mark Andrews type guys that are playmakers, but also just like make sure that every defender remembers the last hit that the two of them had in the, in the hole. So really awesome to get him back. Hopeful that he turns into a 20 carries as we talked about. I have my doubts because (laughs) I don't know what this team does in terms of managing workload and when not to, but we're at the point now it's getting more and more interesting to me. You know, we're seven games in going into week eight. Stanley's back. Edwards is back. J.K. Dobbins will be back in a month and a half. Uh, we have pieces that are, are that core that we want. So it's time to start sticking some, you know, p- stacking some wins on top of each other as opposed to this one, you know, win, loss, win, loss, win, loss situation that they've done through seven weeks. So good to get a major piece of that back. Another player who came back after a brief absence, uh, Justin Houston. Two sacks in his return. Apparently only played like 16 snaps defensively and still had two sacks. So he was obviously a presence. The team as a whole with five sacks, a pass rush that is maybe, just maybe, I'm going to add this again, maybe going to be a good pass rush or at least one that has depth. As Tyus Bowser is one of the last big names to return, David Ojabo, both of them kind of right around the corner in terms of adding some some depth to this team. But five sacks is what we want. Not a ton of blitzing. They seem to get pretty good pressure with four uh, at times. And wouldn't that be nice as we, you know, have the, we're on like the halfway point of the season here almost if the pass rush could be a somewhat of a strength of this team Uh, or at least there's some depth there to where you can rotate these senior citizens in and out uh, as we get to the second half of games when some of them may be gassed. But good to see Justin Houston back. Good to see five sacks from this team. Um, I think it ended up being one of the more important defensive stats that that kept this game game close and kept the Ravens ahead. Yeah, and for Houston, uh, you know, I think we talked at length in the offices, what's his over-under? Four sacks on the season, Antonio. He had four and a half last year. I think we're heading for it. Are we heading for an eight sack season? It, it was just really encouraging. And, and, you know, I'll get into what annoys me uh, with this defense in a little bit. We might call it what's bothering Jace, perhaps. But uh, Gump. <laughs> we'll get to him in a moment. But uh, uh, yeah, but on the whole, it's. It's weird because they obviously have major problems still, but I do think this defense is improving. And like, the middle parts of games, they play really well. I mentioned they had the poor start. Jacoby Brissett was perfect on his first two series. That's not what you want. The Browns uncorked their longest play of the season in there, a 55-yard pass to Amari Cooper. Um, so it was a struggle start, but then I felt they really settled in. I thought... They got some really good performances. Obviously, they in the second half, they force a fumble that uh, is how they got yet another 10-point lead. Um, and, and so I, I thought they were really good. And there's one player, uh, Tim, I want you to speak on him more because I think you have some things to say. A, an off-criticized player 
on this uh, for us that I thought I also had a really good game in Patrick. Yeah, Queen. before we get to Queen, uh, I just it's so funny. I just I just messaged uh, Antonio on the chat. I'm going to pivot to Queen here to take you behind the curtain, and this is how <laughs> like we're just in sync here on Pod Like a Raven. I think I think the front line, you know, you look at Justin Houston, right? He was pretty much the only guy on that out on that one side blitzing last year and creating pressure. Now they can rotate. Now they have a Jason Pierre-Paul. Now they have an Adafi Owe who we'll get to. Now they have, you know, in Calais Campbell and Justin Matabike, who, by the way, spent the entire game in the backfield. Both of those guys. I, I know Matabike. They say Matabike in the broadcast, so I'm just going to go with that now. Like every single one of them, even the great Kevin Harlan, who I love, says Matabike. So I'm just assuming I've been saying it wrong this whole time. So we'll go BK. Him, uh, Calais Campbell was huge, you know, and we'll talk about some of the guys in the secondary and stuff as well a bit later, um, you know, especially kind of containing Nick Chubb, although, man, that guy has got to be an SOB to play against. My Lord. Um, but Patrick Queen, yeah, you, you mentioned it. I think the thing with Patrick Queen this uh, in this game, he finished with 11 total tackles. He led the team, which you should as a middle linebacker, seven solo. He had a sack and three tackles for loss, including those two back-to-back Run right through the run right through the line. Use that speed that you have and make a play in the backfield. And what I what I thought about it, we we're prepping for this um, for this show today. It was controlled aggression from Patrick Queen. We see Patrick Queen fly around with his hair on fire all the time. The, the guy is incredibly athletic. He's incredibly quick for a linebacker. You know, he still gets knocked over backwards because he's a bit smaller. And we've talked about that and whatever. It's the game. It's fine. But we see him hitting lanes a lot of the time and just blowing past plays because he's just like going on. He's on a thousand and he's just running through the hole that he sees and not running to the actual play. And he takes bad angles and he gets beat a lot of the time where, you know, if he can maybe stop a guy for two yards, if he takes the proper angle and waits a second. Instead, it's a seven yard gain because Queen has to catch up to him and he has the athleticism to do that. And that's fine. And those two plays exemplified it, but all over the field yesterday, man, he was in the right spots at the right time, and those two plays show the athleticism. He's still, we're not telling him to slow down, but take a beat and find where the play is and make the play there, and that's what he did, on the second one especially. If you don't know, we're talking about the two plays towards, uh, the Browns are really backed up, and Queen shoots through the line and makes the play, and on the second one, you even see it. He shoots on the replay. He shoots through the line. He kind of takes a beat because he's like, wait a minute. Nobody's blocking me. What the hell? And then and then he sees where the play is developing and then reacts. Boom. And makes a tackle. It's a tackle for loss. Patrick Queen in the past maybe just blows by that. And a Kareem Hunt or somebody kind of makes one little half step or a little bit of a spin move. And Queen goes flying through the back of the end zone. I was super, super impressed with the way he played. And look, he is... We give him a lot of stick, and I think a lot of it is deserved, but I do think that the fan base as a whole, and us included, you know, I'm not going to throw us, you know, out of this conversation. He's probably the most oft, like, oft-criticized player on this Ravens team when he maybe shouldn't be. Um, and and I think a lot of that is we're looking for Ray Lewis or C.J. Mosley, and those are, you know, for Lewis anyway, you're never going to reach that level. He's the best linebacker of all time. Fight me. And I think... He's starting to find his way a little bit, um, and you hope that he builds on it. Now, 
if he gets into his tweets and his mentions and everybody's talking about how great he is and he lets it get to his head and then we get into the game against Tampa and Leonard Fournette, he's taking the wrong angles against Fournette because he's trying to make another cool play that he can put on Instagram and then we're just sitting here having the same conversation. I, that would be a little disheartening. But for now, like I said at the top, going to be positive about it. And I thought his play was stellar throughout the day for the Ravens defense. Yeah, he's got the – I mean <laughs> – he has the scarlet letter that he was a first-round draft yeah. pick, and that is the expectation from Baltimore, who, by the way, have not really gotten superstars in the first round for a little bit now. Uh, a team that seemingly for 10 years straight was drafting at least all pros in the first round, and it was just like, go to the supermarket with your first-round pick, especially if it was, you know, top what top 20, top 25. Go pick up your... You're all pro, you're your multi-time pro bowler in the first round and go to the checkout. And then that was just how we rebuilt every year when we lost guys to free agency. Been a couple of first rounders who have not been so stellar uh, over the last few seasons. We're still, you know, he's so young, he hasn't played that much football. There's still the, you know, room to grow and expectation. He's in year three now. Um, so yeah, a really positive rounded out performance from Queen. Uh, I, I some really good stuff offensively from uh, Duvernay. Well, I should say offensively, just in the whole game, in many facets of the game, because he had a lot of nice plays in the offense, caught a nice deep ball in the first quarter, and then again, had another great punt return that he maybe should have scored on, but not one that he caught and just hit a hole and then sprinted. Like, he, like, broke tackles. He waited patiently for a hole to open up on a punt return, which I feel like does not often work. Um, and then hit hit the sideline with the speed that he has. He has been a very important, like, Swiss Army Knife-type player for this team offensively. Uh, and then Justice Hill is kind of an in-betweener here. Uh, definitely some burst. Cut. He's, like, hitting holes, making, you know, making plays, and then had the worst mistake of his entire career. So, Justice, we will see you in late December. Um, enjoy the doghouse. It was It was great. It was great, but we'll see you in about six or seven weeks when, you know, another running back gets hurt and Harbaugh's forced to play you again because that was a horrendous fumble on a, in a situation that that should never happen in a fourth quarter. So that was not so great. Um, other positives, guys, before we sort of turn. I know we have a few players to analyze, you know, negatively, unfortunately, but some other positives that, that you guys saw, players you want to touch yeah, on. Yeah, just a couple more quickly from me. I'll stick on defense real quick, and I know he made a couple of mistakes, but Geno Stone. Um, like what he's, he's playing significant time and, and is making solid plays. You know, I think it was very early on in the game. It was on the first drive, Nick Chubb running it down their, you know, the Ravens throat and, and stone makes a play that was just good, solid football. He got to the angle and he didn't try and bring down Chubb himself. He couldn't, but he held him up. He kind of wrapped him by the waist. He didn't try and go high. He didn't try and go low. Like, just, you know, sacrifice his body and Chubb can leap over him, whatever. Holds him up and says, guys, guys, come on, come on, tackle him with me. Let's gang tackle him. And that's just good, solid, fundamental football from Geno Stone. Um, it's an indictment on Kyle Hamilton, and we'll just do this negative now because they were late. That is looking worse and worse by the day. Like, we, we think Queen was bad. At least Queen made some plays in his rookie season. This... This Kyle Hamilton thing, he looks lost. He looks slow. He doesn't look like he can tackle, which he should. And for a team that, you know, the reason you draft a big safety is to match up on tight ends. David Njoku just has the game of his life against them because 
They don't have anybody that can match up, and they don't trust their first-round rookie who is supposed to be the guy that can match up against bigger targets. They don't trust him to put him out there against Njoku. That's all bad. But the reason that, you know, that's bad, but the the glass-half-full approach is Geno Stone came in, and I thought he contributed pretty well. Um, and then the special teams as a whole, Antonio. Look, we can talk about Tucker. Every week. You get it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's absolutely absurd what that guy does. Malik Harrison with the block after Browns fans. The center fake snapped the ball. That is a false start. I'm sorry. That's just what it is. Stop bitching and moaning. You have a terrible franchise, a terrible city, and a terrible existence. That's not our fault. Um, Malik Harrison making the play to block that field goal is incredible. And Jordan Stout, I mean, with some piss missiles in this game. Are you kidding me? Some of these punts he was hitting, it was awesome to see. I think he hit one after the roll, like, it looked like 70 or 80 yards um, on one of those. It was, I thought that was, you know, we love Sam Cook, you know, the, the old, if you've listened for this long, and I know none of you have, but the best player in the league, Sam Cook, inside joke from way back in college. Um, Jordan Stout is filling those shoes pretty, pretty well so far. Um, and, and, you know, long may it continue. Uh, uh, the special teams, you know, we already mentioned the DuVernay thing, uh, I thought was just outstanding and part of the reason they won this game uh, on Sunday. The, the stout, the real long punt, Tim, was a 69-yarder, and that's what set, nice. up that, that Patrick Queen, <laughs> set up that Patrick Queen sequence because he backed him right up to the goal line. Stout on uh, Sunday, he had three punts, but they were for 181 yards. He averaged 60.3 yards a punt. He had two 60-yard punts uh, on the day, and and he could have had even you know more like net yardage even better if uh, – Right towards the end of the game, if Seymour is able to keep that one out of the uh, end zone instead of get you know knocked knocked in just on his butt as the ball rolls into the end zone, but that's a minor issue. Um, the one thing I, I did want to touch on because uh, it's it's good and bad. Well, and just on Geno Stone, not only just played Tim 100 percent of the snaps, he played every yeah. defensive snap. Uh, so you know it's they clearly trust him certainly more than Kyle Hamilton uh, at this point. Um, but, uh, so just to circle back to Justice Hill, uh, and that fumble, um, what was just so frustrating with that, obviously, was this was the closeout drive we'd been looking for from the offense, because we'll get to the defense in a minute, because they were not up for the challenge of closing this game out, uh, when they had the chance, uh, or at least initially, certainly, but, uh, um, you know, but, so they give that touchdown up, and then the offense gets on the field, over six minute drive, they're bleeding clock. They're converting third downs. You know, uh, it's really nice. And even that hill, the run was great because he stopped at the backfield. He cuts. He's sprinted up the field, and you're like, oh wow, it's gonna be third and three after it looked like we were gonna face third and eleven, maybe. And then he fumbles it, and you're like, yeah, it's. You're like, oh my, that that was for me. I I kept my guard up all game, and then that drive started. I'm like, yes, yes, we've been looking for this. This it is was, great. It and was the drive, Jace. It was the like, oh my god, they're gonna bleed the clock. They're gonna just get out of here. Blood pressure is they were fine. Gonna do it. They're gonna do it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> they were finally gonna do it, and then that baby. That was that was the bury my head, uh, head in my hands moment for me. Was that fumble, and I was just like, oh my god. Like I don't know. I wasn't prepared for that. Like I was like, oh, they're gonna stall out and kick a field goal, and then they're only gonna be up six, and now they still have to. And the nope. <laughs> <laughs> Still just three, but, uh, you know, what I did like, and we mentioned it, the 44 runs, uh, 11 more than any previous game, Gus Edwards coming back, uh, Ronnie Stanley had this to say, who played most of the game, except for 
one series in the third quarter where he was just randomly out and then he came back mainly because Patrick McCarry I always wonder if Harbaugh just did this to make Stanley play the whole game but Patrick McCarry basically plays the fourth quarter at right tackle because Moses uh, Morgan or Morgan Moses excuse me was feeling quote fatigue Moses Morgan is a cooler name by the way <laughs> um so you know Stanley plays most of this game but he had this to say after the game via Jameson Hensley to me, the ground and pound mentality is the identity of this team. And I think we are getting back to that, to who we are. That made me feel so good to hear that. And that final drive, I was like, it is happening. And then they fumbled it. But, you know, 44 carries, uh, 11 more than they'd had any point this year. It was exciting to see them get back to the run, even if, well, I'm sure we'll talk about him in just a second. Lamar, not his best game, certainly, uh, in the world. But uh, I, just the run game in general, Gus Edwards back. There was there were some good vibes in this game that left me otherwise feeling conflicted. <laughs> uh, one of the cooler plays in this game, the fourth and one, where Mark Andrews went under center. So every single Brown defender, Browns defender, I should say, just ran to the A-gap. And then instead, Andrews ran a pitch play to Lamar Jackson. And Lamar Jackson ends up, first of all, with the first down, and second of all, stiff-arming a linebacker to the ground which is always amazing, and it, you know, at, at the time it seems surprising. He's done that multiple times. He's not a small guy. Uh, he, you know, it's always get down and run out of bounds, and then every so often just crushes a linebacker's soul with a stiff arm where he ends up on the ground and Lamar's upright. Um, and that was pretty much Andrew's only big play of the game. He had one <laughs> other run in this game and zero receptions because the Browns essentially schemed him out of the game plan which we essentially were saying all summer. Um, when that happens to, to the Ravens and Andrews, what are they going to do offensively to adjust, to get other players the ball, or, you know, somehow out-scheme a scheme and still have Andrews make catches? Well, they didn't do that. Let's not get crazy with what <laughs> Roman can accomplish. They did try to move the ball other places, we're not extremely successful, uh, and I want to talk about Lamar Jackson here with the passing game. I mean, he had a couple of really nice runs in this game, really nice conversions, breaking ankles. We love to see that. The passing game now, a couple of weeks in a row, is pretty mediocre, uh, and I don't know if it's time to just turn it to 40 carries a game and just live with that, or if there's ways to, we can fix this. Um but Lamar, pretty average, pretty pedestrian numbers. I guess didn't have to throw it that much, but they also have looked out of sync um, for stretches at times in the passing game. Yeah, this was such a weird game. You know, he only throws the ball 16 times in the end, so you're not working with the biggest sample size. But I think Tim did mention at some point uh, earlier, he, he was holding on to the ball a ton, Uh which I think speaks, you know, to weapons problems, trust in the weapons. Four guys catch passes in this game, you mentioned, without Mark Andrews. It's Devin Duvernay with two, including one really nice catch. Bateman had four and a drop in there that <laughs> could have been costly if Justin Tucker wasn't the best kicker in the NFL. Pat Ricard catches two balls, and then Isaiah likely has one catch. And that's it. So... You know, I, I think it's a multifaceted problem. I think it's it goes back to issues and complaints people probably had about Greg Roman. Uh, the weapons themselves not getting open. Lamar's trust in them. All the above. But, yeah, I mean, it was it was bad early. You know, they go, they go, they go into halftime. He's four for seven 
for 74 yards, so he's getting a lot out of those four completions. But uh, that's, like, not good enough. That's not good enough to win a playoff game. That's not good enough uh, when, if, if you, like, your idea is we need to compete with the Kansas City Chiefs, who are, once again, the highest-scoring team in the NFL. Um you can't, you can't, you just need more. And I, I didn't think he was bad. You know, at least this week he avoided, uh, the just backbreaking turnovers that have kind of plagued him in recent weeks. And so that was encouraging that I, I thought his decision-making was better, but it also kind of almost seemed like it came at the expense of him taking like any risks really. Uh, and, and they were just stuck in the mud for, for, for a long time. So it, it was a weird game admittedly but it's not great the browns are not a great defense you know they came in like ranked like 29th and 26th in like yards and points or whatever and they made them look good on sunday and so yeah the problem is we know it's in there for lamar right we watched it just earlier this season he has the ability to be this dynamic passing guy and it's just not happening right now and that's frustrating and it hasn't in several weeks you know they haven't they haven't scored over 26 uh, or 23 points uh, in over a month. So that's not ideal. Yeah. I mean, I, I, Jace, I understand why you're comparing it to the bills and the chiefs and like the ambitions of this team is to get to the super bowl and you got to get through them. And I, I get it, but like, I'm not, I'm, ch- I'm trying to stay positive. And so I'm just not looking at that right now. Honestly, you run for 160 yards on 44 attempts. You're just not going to have as many opportunities. And I know some of those are scrambles and what have you, but you're just not going to have many opportunities to pass the ball. Um, my problem with the passing game, I, I don't – and, you know, remember 14-2, and two, and look, the people, the haters can say they were right about it and what have you. Well, the Ravens just get a lead, and they don't know how to come back from a lead. That's been dispelled. Look at the early season last year before all the injuries happened and the amount of comebacks that they had. They, like, Lamar can lead a comeback. I'm not worried about that. I'm not worried about establishing this offense running game first and then using the passing game um, – you know, as a secondary thing rather than the the primary thing, which a lot of teams do nowadays. But my problem with the passing game is, you know, there's a lot of issues here. Um, one, we'll start with we'll start with Meatball Roman, and I think that the thing I was describing this to the the people I was watching the game with, and you know, basically joking, but also. It kind of seemed this way. I think he just turns around in that box and throws a dart. And he's pretty accurate, but it's only, like, run or pass. And then he's like, all right, we're going to run or pass. There doesn't seem to be any sort of larger plan about what's going to happen. It's like, oh, we're going to pass. And then, oh, oh, we got sacked. Uh, duh, duh. This time we'll, uh, we'll pass again. Uh, but we'll only have two guys out. We'll blitz protect and two guys. And everybody's going deep because it's second and 13. And then, and then we'll do this on third day. It just – there doesn't seem to be any cohesive sort of, like, idea or philosophy it all just looks like it's a bunch of paint splatter against the wall with this offense especially in the passing game and I know they were keeping guys in because Lamar you know usually typically good against the blitz was not good against the blitz in this game they were keeping guys in to protect him and what have you so there's not as many receivers out there there's not as many options but I don't know and again we don't you know look there's people that watch the All-22. You can listen to their podcast. We don't let's watch the All-22 here on Pod Like a Raven. We have jobs. and But what you see as a fan is that, one, the receivers aren't getting open. Two, Lamar isn't seeing receivers. Three, Lamar, and this is the biggest one to me, 
Lamar is trying to prove to everybody in this contract year that he is very much a pocket passer and he can sling the pill from the pocket and he doesn't need to use his legs to get outside and get the seven yards on second and eight or whatever it is that he wants to get in there and stay in there as long as possible. And there were so many times on Sunday where you just throw the damn ball or get out. They had, there was, you know, it's like, oh, well, he got blitzed a lot. He got sacked a lot. There was a lot of plays there where he had four, five, six seconds, and he's not doing a damn thing. And I know receiver, you know, oh, Lamar doesn't have weapons. Thanks, national media. Uh, you know, he, he, he's, he maybe can't pass the ball that well. All of these things are not true. Rashad Bateman played pretty well. Devin DuVarnay is a good option. Mark Andrews was schemed out of the game. And then you have the most dangerous weapon in the backfield in Lamar Jackson with his legs in the National Football League. Just get out and run for four and slide and don't take a hit. And it's some sort of combination of all of these factors that is the problem. I'm not going to sit here and be like, it's Lamar's fault or it's Greg Roman's fault or it's the receiver's fault. I don't know how you divvy up that pie. But something is very, very wrong with this offense where, I don't know, it just seems like, I guess I'm going to go the Roman route because I just don't like him and I think consistently over and over. And, and again, again, like I said, not just him, but maybe I give the majority of my pie to him, not that he needs it, where it's one of those where it's like, it doesn't seem like he understands a game script in a way where it's, the running game is working, so maybe throw a little play action in or maybe change things up, but if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But then he goes, oh, dartboard just hit pass play. We got to do a pass play here, and it's just like, what are we doing? And we talked about it earlier as well, earlier in the season, excuse me, of this team just constantly is in second and long and third and long, and, and I think a lot of that comes down to the play calling and the just just – jankiness of it all so yeah it's concerning but again they won they ran the ball really effectively and so I'm not trying to be as down on it as I would be in a loss but there's still definitely some signs there of like oh geez there is there is a problem here with this offense I think if you want to look at one example of Roman uh refusing to drop something that isn't working I think you uh yeah you know an availability whatever guys available 11 carries for five yards for Kenyon Drake uh, I think I would have stopped that after right. about five carries. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, it was clear whatever he was doing was not working in this game. And they just kept going back to that well as just kind of a, well, we can't, you know, we don't want to give Gus 40 carries in game one. So let's run Kenyon Drake again. It's like, well, this isn't working. I feel like you'd be better served, you know, having Lamar Jackson do something on, on, on what ended up being, you know, a Kenyon Drake run for a two-yard loss. Maybe I'm being too picky here because the example I'm going to use is the Kansas City Chiefs who have like the best and maybe the most sophisticated offense, if not what top three most sophisticated offense. But you watch an entire Chiefs game and you can feel the Chiefs offense. Each play sets something else up in the future. They run it inside. And then they have a jet sweep a couple of plays later. They do a bunch of bubble screens, and then all of a sudden they try stretching it downfield. They do stuff inside, they go outside. They start outside, they go inside. They do what might be, looks like it'll be a trick play, but it isn't. It's just a regular drop back. And then they play off of that, and they do do the trick play. They do have Kelsey come inside of that little inside pitch that they do seemingly once every game. <laughs> 
And then it's the backup tight end doing it instead. And then it's Kelsey faking that and doing something else or catching it and then throwing it, you know, making a pass off of the handoff. That offense always feels like a game of chess where you're setting things up to eventually kind of like take the head off of the opponent or demoralize the opponent. And they did that very successfully against the number one defense in the league on Sunday against the San Francisco 49ers on the road. And the Roman stuff, he has pieces, and it just feels like checkers. And it's a cliche, you know, chess, playing chess, playing checkers, blah, 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 whatever. There are pieces here to where you could have a sophisticated offense that is keeping the defense on their toes all game. And we have not seen defenses on their heels, for, as Jace mentioned, for about a month. Um, and we know it's there. We know it's there. Defensively. Oh, boy. The Ravens, of course, took a 10-point lead in this game, 23-13 in the fourth quarter. Ravens' defense came out onto the field, and Jace, take it away! What happened next? Yo, well, a lot of, not nothing good, uh, Antonio. Um, for me, this was maybe the saddest defensive series the Ravens have ever played. And that might be Franchise history. Yeah, <laughs> but in the moment, I felt just so disgusted it was you know you go up like this is your chance to win the game right you go up 10 you get a stop in the fourth quarter you're probably going to win the game just because the math doesn't add up the ravens take off you know they're running the ball a billion times the ravens at minimum are going to take another two to three minutes off the clock uh it, it becomes a numbers game and it just there's not enough possessions to score 10 points right it's a two possession game get a stop but this Ravens team refuses to get stops. And it's it, this wasn't the first time. Well, twice in this game, they go up 10 and immediately give up points. They also did that against the Jets. They gave up points immediately against the Patriots after going up 11 in that game. And they did it against the Giants last week. And that helped the Giants get back in the game, which led to the sequence where the Ravens imploded on offense. And this week they so they have the two opportunities they go up 10 on two different occasions they give a, they they actually hold them to a field goal on the first time i was pleasantly surprised you're still up seven the offense gives you a 10 point lead right back and then the ravens get step on the field and they give up seven plays 75 yards in under three minutes um the browns only faced one second down on the entire drive Brissett ran for 10 on a scramble. Chubb ran for 12. He ran for 12 again. Brissett hit Amari Cooper for 11-yard pass. Chubb ran for 22. Kareem Hunt ran for 6. And then on second and goal, he ran for a 2-yard touchdown. That was awful. And I just watching it unfold was so demoralizing. And about... I wasn't even mad because, you know, like, I kind of expected it. Um, not ex- But, like... I expected them to give up the touchdown, but the degree to which they just let them march down the field one pass, it was, it was an abomination. And I just, I, this has been a thing for years now with this team where it's like, they didn't start great, but I thought they played really well for several quarters, (laughs) like better part of two and a half quarters. I thought the Ravens off or defense actually played really well in this game. And then when it's time, when you can win the game by making one play, 
they just collapse. They just they submit the worst series of the entire like season, basically, where you just are letting the Browns. And look, Nick Chubb's great. He's probably the best running back in the NFL, or certainly one of the <laughs> two or three best. But to just let him run all over you and have zero answers and just immediately cut it to a three point game where you put the pressure back on the offense, like you can win the game right there with a stop, basically. And that the fact that this happens week after week after week, as I talked about, this is the fourth time it's happened where they go up 10 and immediately give up a score. It's like they just don't win these big moments. And I just don't know. That seems like, I don't know who's to blame. It seems like a player problem at a certain point if it keeps happening. But it's 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 demoralizing. And I, I was just so upset in that moment. And then uplifted by the offense actually responding until – as we mentioned, Justice Hill fumbled, and then it's scramble Jill. And to their credit, the Ravens' defense actually did hold. We mentioned Patrick Queen. He actually, you know, they, they face a long third down. He he stops them a few yards short, and then the Browns commit the false start on the field goal attempt. So they, they held firm ultimately when they needed to, but it, it didn't have to get to that point. This game could have been so much easier. You could have just won 20-10 with a stop and then the – but I don't know. I feel I'm rambling now. But that's what's bothering me this week. Like that, the fact that that was that sequence seven plays, seventy five yards, less than three minutes, less than two and a half minutes, and you you only face one second down. That's just inexcusable. I'll just go quickly on this. Um, I remember a couple weeks ago when I was ranting about like this is not my Ravens, you know, the not not your father's Ravens or not your grandfather's Ravens, whatever uh, episode that we did a couple weeks ago about. You know, this team. They don't. They don't make backbreaking mistakes like this. They don't do this. They don't do that. And Antonio looked at me and was like, "Well, they did do some of that stuff uh, like back in the day." I feel like this. The Ravens have always given up. Like, and maybe it's just I remember the Steelers' losses the most, and those are the ones that always stick out. But I feel like it's just like if the defense is playing well, they're going to give up one late game drive that it just makes things way closer. Because the Ravens can't win a game by seventeen. They just can't. They never have. <laughs> The, and, and I've never had a game – I mean, obviously, a hyperbole, clearly. But there, there just hasn't been enough games for as good as they've been across our lifetime, you know, for most seasons anyway. The percentage of good seasons to close wins is way higher than it should be. Like, there should, ha- there should be way more like, oh, yeah, that was fine. Yeah, 21 points. Yeah, we're good. You know, whatever. Coasted today. Had a, had a uh, you know, two or three more Bud Lights than I should have because I was celebrating the win by the third quarter. It was great. No, that doesn't happen with this team. It's it's stress drinking most of the time anyway. Um, and, yeah, I, I get it, and I know why Jace is bothered by it, but it's also one of those things for me where I'm just like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm aware. I know this happens, so, you know, <laughs> you just kind of accept it. it, it Maybe Jace was even more demoralizing – I mean, Nick Chubb is so good. He is the best running back in the NFL. I think he's taken the mantle from Derrick Henry at this point. He, I don't really get it, but players just slip off of him. Big defensive players are around him and then just cannot even slow his stride down. Um, but it was very painful to watch him have holes and then just slip off of three, four guys and turn a four-yard gain into a 12-yard gain, what, six times on that drive? Five <laughs> times on that one drive alone? And the biggest culprit, and I am on giant red flag alarm clocks watch with Odafe Owe. 
he is built like a battering ram and runs like a battering ram. Battering rams don't run, guys. They don't really move that well at all. And this guy was a 4-3-6-40 guy at the Combine. He, was the, he had run the fastest 40 in the history of his position in the NFL at the Combine. You cannot tell me that he is fast at all in any of these games. To give you some perspective, oh my gosh, I accidentally found Gus Edwards' 40 time, and I was looking up his bio to talk about him. And the, Gus Edwards ran a, like a 4-5 plus 40. You're telling me if you put the two of those guys on the field now in pads running down the field, do you think Odafeo is going to outrun Gus Edwards? I don't think so. And that's a problem because he had zero sacks in college and you drafted him in the first round because he was the combine jump-off-the-page athlete. He is slow. He cannot close down anyone. He had multiple plays where... Chubb was running essentially away from him and then, you know, breaks six tackles and then cut back toward him and he couldn't, ta- he was right there and he couldn't, like, close and tackle him. It wasn't even things where he had to, like, reach his arms to or dive to tackle him. He was right at his hips and he couldn't get to him, couldn't bring him down. Then he essentially gets outrun by Jacoby Brissett to the sideline on, a, on like, a scramble rollout kind of play. He should be killing him. He should be catching up to him in two strides like stripping the ball, just pulverizing him into the grass, and yet he is struggling to catch up with Jacoby Brissett. I'm very concerned. He's a first-rounder. We have not hit on first-rounders in like four years, and it's very concerning. He was supposed to be the the take-the-leap guy, become the double-digit sack guy. There is no chance he gets to double-digit sacks this season. Had zero again today, and it's a problem. It's a problem because it just, the tools don't look like they're there. He was supposed to be raw, but with the physical gifts. But even the speed and the stuff doesn't look good. The the tackling ability does not look good. And at that point, I don't know what you have anymore with this player. Well, the scary part for me, Antonio, is I think he looks worse than he did as a rookie. Like, he, we talked about he should be making the leap, but I agree with you 100%. Like... He has one. He had five and a half sacks last year. He's only got the one this year, one and a half. And you know he has he was credited with two quarterback hits in this game, which brings him up to four. One of them, which should have been flagged for roughing the passer, but Jacoby Brissett's not going to get that call. He just pulverized him. Uh, I was shocked they didn't throw a flag, but. It just, it looks like he's running in quicksand. It's so strange. He's very upright when he moves. It's strange It almost looks looking. like he's put on too, like, too much. Like, he's too big for his own athleticism. Hey, it's very odd, yeah, man. And, and you're, you're, that Brissett play, I, I wasn't even thinking of that one, but that's such a good, because Jacoby Brissett's one of the slowest quarterbacks in the league. He's a huge man who does not move fast, and yeah, he beat him to the edge, and that's a problem. <laughs> For a guy that's, yeah, the whole thing, as you said, the whole thing's athleticism. So the, that was concerning. And I don't know if that's, you know, maybe it's just taking a second to be like, oh, he's scrambling and diagnosing and all that. But, yeah, I I have concerns. Uh, it, it's, you know, it was kind of a flyer pick because you get his extra first rounder in the Orlando Brown trade. But so far, it's not worked out. And the problem is you kind of relied on him taking a leap. Uh to, to, to help your pass rush, and he just hasn't been there this year. Um, he's invisible for too often. When he does, as you mentioned, it's often because he's trailing the play, running upright, trying to, like, 
weeble wobble his way over there and it's just not good it's just not good enough and yeah um i had high hopes for him i was excited for him it seemed like it, it, it was going to be a, a big year and instead i think he's even worse um than he was as a rookie a couple things i mean you guys have said it on the field stuff i don't need to add to that uh jace i completely disagree with you on the flyer comment because you traded your you know right tackle backup left tackle for a first round pick First round pick. This is how this team builds. They don't build through free agency. They build through talent in the draft. And you hope they didn't miss. You know, I'm not I'm not read, ready to say bust, but you know, we look back in five, seven years or whatever, and it's just and we look through these early EDC drafts and it could be a wasteland. Um, an absolute wasteland of missed pick after missed pick, and he could be one of them. Um and then, yeah, you guys might have mentioned it as well. Uh, I can't remember. And I, I dropped it earlier, so we should pay off the joke if we haven't mentioned it. Jace with the all-time funniest text we've gotten in the Pod Like a Raven group chat, which is a lot of things, saying he runs straight up like Forrest Gump. Um, just had me cackling during a point of misery when Odafi Owe couldn't catch, again, as Jace noted, a very slow Jacoby Brissett. Yeah, Jace with a couple of golden texts this week. Very he good. Also, was it Warley? Jace, where you were like, I like how he took uh, the scenic oh. route to the ball on that on the punt. Was it somebody yeah, else? That, that was uh, Kavon Seymour. Oh, Kavon Seymour. That's right. Yeah, one of those other sort of random end of the you know depth chart defensive backs on the punt that Jace was. Yeah, where it looked like he could have maybe downed this punt inside the five yard line, but instead of going point A to point B, as Jace described, took the scenic route to the ball and did not <laughs> down it before it got into the end zone. Jace Evans, boy, for the listener, we wish. We wish we could have this be a public thread no, that we could just like watch no, during the game, but it's no, not. It, it can't can't do it. Can't really do it. But it would be entertaining. Uh, it'll have to be entertaining for the two of us, and then we just take out <laughs> take out the sample. The three of us. It depends on who's texting, and we take out samples on this episode. All right, that's it for this game. The the last thing I was gonna bring up, but whatever, we've touched on it already. The field goal penalty on the Browns was, <laughs> was a, penalty a penalty on the Browns. You know how I know? Five different Ravens moved at the exact same time, and then eight different Ravens immediately all pointed to the center and the ball. And you don't do that together if it's something that it wasn't a penalty. They all reacted. They all immediately knew what it was. And that was the call that was made. So it's a penalty. Browns browsing, trying to gain five yards, lose five yards, uh, trying to draw you know, the Ravens offside. Didn't work. And then your kicker can't kick. He's not Justin Tucker. So he has to hit line drives when it's that distance, and it got blocked. So that's it. Anything else, guys? 30 seconds on this game before we move on. Uh, the only thing I have to add is John Harbaugh said uh, at the end of last – or early last season, a September 19th, 2021 game. I don't even know who they played, but he said, it's not perfect, it's not pretty, but it's us. And if that ain't the damn motto of this stupid team, I don't know what is. That's, every week, every week it's stressful. <laughs> Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, we we've talked a lot about the future of John Harbaugh on this show, especially early. Um, and then lining up against a dope like Kevin Stefanski makes me realize that you know we've got it okay. Because my God, the mismanagement from that guy is comically bad. And there are a lot of these new young analytic coaches that um, keep screwing things up. Brandon Staley, uh, Kevin Stefanski, and look. We'll talk about it, and I still hold true that this Ravens team misses the playoffs. I think it might be time for a regime change, but, man, we've got it pretty freaking lucky compared to some of the other dross in the National Football League. Time to do the random Raven 
And Tim, you are up this week. So who do you have? For so us? this might this is kind of a bonus clue for you guys, and I'll I'll start with it because it might help you. I was going to do a different random raven, but it got so depressing that in my research for that random raven, I saw this guy's name in the research for the previous guy and said, "Oh, you know what? I'm going to do this other person instead." So here we go. This two-time Super Bowl champion joined the Ravens as an undrafted free agent in 2010. Number two, this player played in a total of 108 games across a seven-year career, but he only started in 24. He spent most of his career in Baltimore, but also spent time in New York and New England. Clue number three, his best season on the defensive side of the ball in Baltimore was 2016. Uh, the outside linebacker played in all 16 games. He started 11 of them, finished with 55 tackles, four tackles for loss, and a sack. Clue number four. He was a crucial special teams player, earning all pro honors from Pro Football Focus in 2014 and 2018 for his contributions on special teams. And clue number five. This Marshall product wore the same number as Brad Jackson, Antoine Barnes, Justin Houston, and the player I'm using as my next random Raven, another man I found in research. Uh, people want to get a jump on the research. Uh, not a lot of clues there. I apologize. What? Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> uh-uh. Well, I know what number he wears. But <laughs> did we, and you don't have to change if, if you didn't say, you don't have to include this, but did you note the years he played for the Ravens? I will give, that, that, in the clue? I will give that to you right now. Uh, he spent most of his career in Baltimore, he started in 2010, and he left Baltimore halfway through the 2018 season. Oh, my goodness. Jace. I might have a name. <laughs> okay. At least at least one of us does. Man, I've been slipping the last few weeks. This, this do, is uh, a really hard one. This, I will admit this is a very, very hard one. Dive into the pro football reference this week, get my, uh, get my reps in. All right. We will answer that at the end of the episode. Now it's my turn to bring up hopefully some laughs. And it's Harbaugh quotes time. It's it's two truths and a lie. Harbaugh quotes time. We're gonna try this out again uh, and see how it see how it goes for the listener. I'm gonna I'm gonna name three quotes. Two of which Coach John Harbaugh has actually said, and one of which I created for him. And I'm gonna see if my two co-hosts. I like the um well you guys work it out. I think that's the way to the way to go with this Should one. Should we call so, this did Harbaugh say this? <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe something something like that it has to be something like cheesier that yeah, he true. words that verbiage that he uses all right so here are the three quotes two of these he said and one of them he did not quote number one this is a team of warriors and we're still building still getting all of our tools all of our weapons to fight those battles man and if we go week by week with this thing there's no telling how great we can be it's quote number one quote number two James Prochet will play a lot more in the future and will make plays. End quote. Quote number three. He's a really good back right now, no question. And he's only going to get better. He's going to get back to being and better than he's ever been before soon. What that time frame is, it just depends. So those are the three. Uh, so Ant- those Antonio are the three is quotes. a wordsmith, but that third one is just so much word salad that that has to be John. Like that has to be Harbaugh. No, that's. I was gonna say three is definitely him. Can we get number two again, Antonio? Can I get number two when you get a second? 
James Prochet will play a lot more in the future and will make plays. I mean, that one, if I could cuss on this podcast, I would. That one's just BS straight up. Like, there's there's absolutely no way. Um, I don't know. I, I think he's trying to throw us with the specific player name, Jace. I'm thinking that's the one he didn't say. I think that's the lie. But number one is so just so perfectly generic Harbaugh as well. Uh, yeah, I'm really split. Um, <laughs> I love that. I love this segment so let's much. Let's get number one again. Let's get number one. Again. Any of these, any of these could be could be real and fake. This is a team of warriors, and we're still building, still getting all of our tools, all of our weapons to fight those battles, man. And if we go week by week with this thing, there's no telling how great we can be. Okay, this is 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 John Harbaugh a man guy? Does he say, you know, man, we got this, man? Like, like that's a very Dan Campbell thing. It seems like, is it a John Harbaugh thing? It could be. I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not disparaging that. Yeah, I, I didn't see him say that, but I, it definitely could have been something he said yesterday. I wasn't, you know, locked super into the, some of the post game stuff. I know he was talking about James Prochet sometime oh, last Christ. week, but that sounds so generic that I, I like I, I think I'm with you. I do think two is the the fake one, okay. but I mean, uh, this is why this segment is great because it's not easy. Yeah, I think I think it's one or two. We'll go two, but I think three is definitely real. Is my my takeaways. Agree. All right, let's go in this order then. When speaking about J.K. Dobbins, John Harbaugh did say. He's a really good back right now, no question. And he's only going to get better. He's going to get back to being, and better, than he's ever been before soon. <laughs> what that time frame is, it just depends. Who knows? Nobody knows. That, that was a quote. Really what just throws the whole sentence out of whack. You're like, what? <laughs> soon, no idea what the time frame is. That was a real quote by John Harbaugh. Uh, quote number two. James Prochet will play a lot more in the future and will make plays. That is a real oh quote that John Harbaugh yeah. said before <laughs> Sunday's football game. James Prochet on Sunday ended up having 15 penalty yards and zero receiving yeah, yards. Yeah. So uh, he will play a lot more in the future. He'll make plays. That's yet to be seen. That was a real quote by John Harbaugh. And the fake quote that could have very easily, I feel like, been him in the locker room talking to his guys. This is a team of warriors, and we're still building, still getting all of our tools all of our weapons to fight those battles, man. And if we go week by week with this thing, there's no telling how great we can be. Fake quote there. John Harbaugh, a man of many words, a man of no words. And I hope we can continue this segment. Uh, yeah, we better. Uh, I think it might have stumped us two <laughs> yeah. weeks in a row. <laughs> it might be the best thing this pod has, podcast has going is this segment. Yeah. Wonderful. John Harbaugh, what a man. All right, let's turn now to the NFL. We are going to re-up saddest team of the week um i think i'm gonna go third this week because i'm gonna use it to to tie into our next segment so uh tim why don't you take the your saddest yeah so i just have two nominee uh two nominees here and it's it's not the obvious ones um because i think they'll be mentioned and we don't have to do a ton on the nfl there's enough general nfl podcasts for for you listeners out here but my two first i'm gonna start with the I was about to say San Diego. The Los Angeles Chargers. My God. I, their three fans are probably so upset about how this team has been run and the misfortune. They're 4-3. and three. They did just lose to the Seattle Seahawks, who, by the way, are top of the NFC West at 4-3. and three. Geno Smith, you know, he's, he's still writing back. Good for him. But 
The Chargers, in another lost, uh, lost, excuse me, to injury, to add on to their extensive injury list, Mike Williams, who is a high ankle sprain. He's going to be out for weeks, quote unquote. Not some weeks, not a few weeks, just weeks. And then J.C. Jackson, uh, it was confirmed, actually, as we're recording this, he will miss the season. The big free agent signing corner for them. Just bad luck Chargers, just constantly sad. And then... You have Brandon Staley who can't get out of his own way, and they're not using Justin Herbert how they should, and it's just, it's a mess. Um, The other one I'm going to go with may surprise you guys, and it's not going to be the Denver Broncos, who Brett Rippon was probably as good as Russell Wilson, which is saying something. It's the team that beat them, the New York Jets. And Tim, you say, the New York Jets? The 5-2 and two New York Jets, the fighting Zach Wilsons, the fighting Robert Salas, taking dominating people right now. They're just they're the, one of the darlings of New York, and guess what? Two New York teams are good, and we're never going to hear the end of it because it's New York, and people think people, New York matters when, frankly, it doesn't. It's a trash city full of lots of trash, and it smells bad all of the time. I've been there one too many times in my life, and I think I've only been there four times, and that was enough for me. <laughs> the Jets, 5-2. and two. Great story. The leadership of Joe Flacco has gotten them to this point, and that's great, and that's fine. Brees Hall, out of the park home run pick in the second round. What a pick. Out for the year with an ACL injury. Their entire offense is basically around Brees Hall. They have a lot of weapons, but Zach Wilson, Zach Wilson, give it to Brees Hall. He looks like a home run pick. Unfortunately, he tears his ACL. Well, it's okay. At least, you know, they got Sauce Gardner. Great. Already showing out to be one of the best corners in the National Football League. I think Brett Rippon targeted him like nine times, and it was for three catches for eight yards. You know, got lost in the sauce. As I I, I think it was Ian Eagle was on the call, Jace. I can't remember. Thank you. Uh, just magnificent. Mm. Magnifique. Ian Eagle and Kevin Harlan, the best in the biz right now. That's why CBS is the best, guys. Um, but let's go back to the offense. So no Brees Hall. At least we can protect the quarterback, right? How about Elijah Vera Tucker, that guard that they got? You know, really, really good player. Uh, got him. They traded back up into the first round last year to really invest in that offense. Oh, oh, he's out for the year as well. Two back-breaking season-ending injuries for the New York Jets. And let's just look at the rest of their schedule here as well. It doesn't. It's not terrible, but we will say these next three weeks there is a buy-in here as well. But we'll just skip over that. Patriots, Bills. Patriots. Then it's Bears. Okay. Then it's Vikings. Good team. Bills again. Lions. Eh. Jaguars. Eh. Seahawks. Eh. And then the Dolphins to end the year. A very tough schedule, losing two of your most important offensive players. And when the Jets, when everybody's talking about the Jets being positive, we all know where this is going. Bill Belichick is going to run them out of the building twice. Josh Allen is going to have his way with the New York Jets. And this is a family show, so I will not go into detail. Um, and I think that this happy New York Frank Sinatra song for, for the green side anyway, is just about over. So, uh, for my, my nominee for this week, a uh, team that's, uh, was also nominated and into the running and, uh, one of our picks last week, the Green Bay Packers yeah. are in big trouble, big trouble. And I think what makes them especially sad is the future might be bleak. Uh, because what do you have if Aaron Rodgers can't save you? Uh, it's not looking good. Uh, so they lose to the Washington Commanders 23-21, uh, on Sunday. They gain only 232 yards to the Commanders 364. The Commanders hold the ball for 3707 to the Packers 2253. 
The Packers don't convert a third down in this game. They go 0 for 6 on third down. Uh, it's the first time they haven't had a first uh, first down conversion on third down since 1999. Um, it's it's bad. Uh, this is t- this is a loss to the Giants in London. It's a loss to uh, the Jets at Lambeau Field. It's a loss to Washington team that is reeling constantly, but especially lately. Uh, they start Taylor Heineke uh, in this game, who you know was Taylor Heineke, twenty for thirty-three, two hundred one. Threw a pick six uh, in this game. That's one of the Packers' three touchdowns. Um, so it, it's 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 bad, and uh, you know the the it, the answers are not obvious uh, for the Packers. Uh, Rogers throws for one ninety four. They only rush twelve times for thirty eight yards. It's not looking good. I don't think the Vikings are a great team, but now the Packers are three and four, and the Vikings are five and one, and you're just. You're really the path to winning the division's not there, and like I said, it's it's what's what's your future? I think you're looking at a, a post Rogers future that might be incredibly bleak, and a Rogers present that's kind of <laughs> bleak as well. So, uh, I, I the, you know this is the team that's won 13 games each of the last three years. They were the number one seed in the NFC two years in a row, and they're a bad team. They're a bad team right now, and I think that's why it makes them one of the saddest teams of the week. They. I thought the Packers' defense was supposed to be yeah. good. They had playmakers. They had good. They had depth along the line with the linebackers. They get the pick six in that game, Jace. They're up 14-3. It's like, okay, this is where the Heineke, you know, Heineke runs out of bubbles. Like, it's a flat Heineke at this point. And then they just, instead, the Washington, I hate the commies, after the pick six, down 14-3, Go on a 12-play drive, make it 14-10. The Packers go three and out. And that was like all they did offensively for the rest of the game. They get a touchdown essentially in garbage time in a game where they were down two scores. It's very strange. The Packers make no sense to me. Yeah, we knew the receivers were going to be, t- you know, we bad. It was going to be tough sledding for the Packers to start offensively. I thought the defense was supposed to hold them in games. They can't stop the run. Uh, they can't stop the pass now. And they're losing to bad teams. Because I agree with Tim. The New York City, well, I'm not going to agree with Tim about New York City, but the football teams, I agree, are not very good. And they've lost to both of them. Uh, And then capping this with this commies loss. The commies are bad. The commies have been bad for hundreds of years, and they're bad on this Washington team as well. They just had a 12-7 game against the Bears. Like, what are we we doing? And with just the the receivers, the whole thing's right. You have the two-time defending MVP. You have Aaron Rodgers, a future Hall of Famer, and he's just not getting it. Like, I think it falls back on him to a certain degree because, like, you know, he he's gotten everything he wanted, which is a fifty million dollar contract uh, that drives kind of Devonte uh, Adams out of town in the end. And so this is what Rodgers wanted, and now he's kind of stuck with the consequences. Uh, I don't know, it's bad, and he he should, in theory, be able to lift them out of the hole that they should have on offense, but he's just not doing it, and you wonder if that's age, you wonder if it's, you know, is Devontae Adams actually underrated? There's a lot of questions uh, you can ask, um, but yeah, it, it's they're, they're in a dark place right now for a team that's been one of the NFL's best the last few years. Green Bay's next five games, at Bills, at Lions, home to the Cowboys, home to the Titans, at the Eagles. It's a tough slate. We are going to learn what that team is made of uh, in their next five games. All right, I have a sad team. Um, And they played in Carolina this weekend. And they have a losing record. 
and their quarterback, you know, hasn't looked good the last few weeks. But it's not the Carolina Panthers. It's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who lost 21-3 against what everyone dubbed as the worst team in the NFL. It's the second straight week that the Bucs have lost outright to a team they were favored by double digits against. The wheels haven't come off in Tampa Bay, but certainly they look pedestrian offensively. The defense cannot, you know, keep them in, I don't know, single-digit games, single-digit scoring games. And they lost to P.J. Walker. It's not good. Tom Brady cannot move. He has three throws. That's what I maintain at this point. At this stage in his career, he is making three types of passes with this offense. A comeback route to Mike Evans, short three to five yard dink and dunks, and then a deep ball to Mike Evans. And Mike Evans dropped one, one of the worst drops of the season in the first drive of this game against Carolina, and they basically never threatened again. They got blown out by the Carolina Panthers. They are the saddest team this week, and I'm going to use that to tie into the Ravens playing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this Thursday. And I am so prepared to embrace debate with my co-hosts here, because we talked about it a little bit via text message. My co-hosts seem to think that because the Bucks had this embarrassing loss to the Panthers, that they're going to come off of it and, of course, beat the Ravens, because that's what Baltimore does. But it's been two weeks of this from Tampa Bay. They also lost to the Steelers in a game they had no business even being close in, and they lost straight up. Then they put this game on display where Brady didn't throw an interception in this game, but the Panthers essentially dropped two of them, so this game could have even been worse than it was. I think the Bucks are in trouble. I think they're in trouble long-term. I think there's more than a 10% chance that Tom Brady is not on the team at the end of the season. Like, I would not be shocked if five weeks from now he just did the... You know, this is it's time time for me to time for me to pack it up. This is it. You know, it, it didn't have to be this way. I have to go back to my family. I'm going to try that again. What family? I'm going to retire. I'm going to unretire from my family and re-retire from football. <laughs> uh, I'm going to try this out because they look bad offensively and the defense cannot save them. And the Ravens go into Tampa as one and a half point favorites. And my co-hosts do not agree with me. They have big fears about the trap, trap, trap game for the Ravens here. Not, no, 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 no. You are misconstruing these words here. It is not trap, trap, trap game. It is Tom Brady just suffered two embarrassing losses, and now he's going to go against an opponent he's faced a number of times in prime time under the lights and and beat the brakes off of him. Now, look, that is fan brain. I will wholeheartedly admit, admit that because this is not the same Tom Brady. And far be it from me to, to, to you know, throw – uh, dirt on the grave. Everybody has tried that for years now. He's still kicking, um, you know, at least on the field, off the field. Who knows? Um, but there's something wrong with this this team, you know, on every single level. Whether it's coaching, whether it's, you know, injuries, whether it's defense, offense, running game, passing game, what have you. And Brady's kind of just doesn't really have it anymore. You know, that team that won the Super Bowl two years ago, he had a load of weapons around him. Now he's got an off-injured Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, and a kind of shaky Leonard Fournette. This running game, or this running, the run defense, excuse me. This defense is supposed to be dominant, right? They started the year 
one of the best run defenses in the National Football League. They're now about middle of the pack. They give up 118 yards a game on the ground, which for teams that don't run the ball that much anymore, that is significant. Uh, Sleepy Tommy, any gamblers will tell you, Tommy late in his career, not very good in primetime. The old man has to go to bed. So after 8-20, you don't usually bet on the Bucs because even if they win, they're not covering because he just starts to play poorly. Now, you know, there's enough data there where I'm making a joke, but there's actually some truth behind it where they're just not as good in prime time. All that being said, fan brain. Uh, yeah, we just saw the Ravens kind of sloppy win against the Browns and all the media is like, oh, look, the Ravens. Not the media, but we'll just put it light, uh, nicely. The media machine around the Baltimore Ravens. A lot of them are like, well, look, they got back to their ways. They're, they're doing okay. They're like not tentatively positive like I am. They're like very, very positive. And I could see the Ravens going down into Tampa in prime time and just embarrassing themselves in front of in front of the entire nation. So that that is what I'm trepidatious about. It's not the I don't I, maybe maybe it is a, now that I'm speaking about it. Maybe there's a little bit of the trap game stuff, but I think it's more of just Brady has one more chance to beat the Ravens and I think this is where like this could happen and it's just going to be one more of those I cannot believe this is happening again. He can't keep getting away with this meme. I guess just the only thing I meant, maybe trap, trap, trap was not the best way to describe it, but they lost the trap game to the Steelers, so they should have corrected things, but then they also just lost to an even worse opponent, so they're, I think they're just struggling. I don't think they were just ready to, you know, they got caught off guard and then they are ready to turn it on. Right. I think they're just at, they're just where they are, they're, they're where this team is going to be now. We're in eight, this is week eight, Jace. I was with Tim very strongly in the aftermath of yesterday's game, but I think, you know, having a night to sleep on it and read some stuff and think about things this morning. I'm coming around to your point of view, Antonio. The Bucs are a bad team, and I think a rightful winner of this week's saddest team of the week. I mean, uh, you talked about the rushing, Tim. The Panthers run 27 times, 173 yards. Donta Foreman, Derrick Henry's backup last year, in case you didn't know who he is, and Chuba Hubbard. You know, they each rush for over seven yards a carry. Um, that's a season high for a team that, sh- yeah, should be quitting, should be the worst. They fired their coach. They traded Christian McCaffrey as the week started <laughs> on Monday night. Or, uh, yeah, Monday night, I believe. Or, no, Thursday During the night. week. Um, yeah, yeah, even later. So, uh it's uh they 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 trade their starting running back just days before and then rush for a season high in yards the bucks have real problems you mentioned the um you know the the yards per play they're just not an explosive team they're 26th in yards per play we saw it in this game against the panthers where they ran 16 more plays than the panthers and managed to gain less total yards it's kind of hard to do it in an nfl game when you have that many more plays but yeah, the Bucs, they're, they're just – it's its unlike anything we've ever really seen from Brady in his entire career. Uh, this is, you know, the farthest into a season he's been under 500 uh, since his second full year as a starter in 2002. The Bucks are 25th in points per game. It still worries me because he's still Tom Brady. It's still – he's pretty much owned the Ravens, you know, historically, certainly in the regular season. But uh, – um, and it does concern me the short week, I think, is the big cause for concern. Because I think back to last year when the Ravens were rolling and they go into Miami uh, on a short week and they just lay a big egg. Probably, for my money, their worst performance of the season. Not the most painful loss, but 
just the worst game they played. They lose 22-10 to 10 on Thursday night. And now you're going back to South Florida, or mid-Florida, I don't know what Tampa's described as. But uh, Central Florida, perhaps. And then, uh, you know, you're, you're going back down there short week after you have just this grueling divisional game. There's cause for concern. I'm an idiot, so I, uh, I my gambling's never been good on this program, but it seems especially bad this year. So I've talked myself into taking the Ravens, uh, but um, because I do think the Bucks are in a dark place, um, and now certainly they could still win that division because every team in the NFC South's below 500. But but I think you're right, Antonio. I think there's big cause for concern that this game rose for me. Where, you know, you can kind of, they've been struggling all year, but you can kind of call the Steelers game a one-off. You know, you lose in uh, Pittsburgh. A lot of teams have lost in Pittsburgh before. Mike Tomlin's a great coach. You lose to Steve Wilkes, interim Panthers coach, for what's the worst team in the league, and you score three points. That's tough. And, yeah, I just think they, they, they have real problems. That if the Ravens figured out some stuff, I, there's things the Ravens are doing I like that you know I like I like the idea that Brady can't just beat them probably with explosive plays which seems certainly a thing the Ravens are uh, susceptible to and we should mention the Bucks have um, on their own side one of the worst running games in the NFL they're actually uh, 32nd um, in the NFL in rushing uh, yards so I like that it, it, they're very one-dimensional and the one dimension isn't going great this year or uh this year certainly and especially in recent weeks i still worry because it's brady but i do think the ravens will end up winning in the end i mean you could even say you know these last two losses were on the road they're going home that's going to help but th- they're almost they've almost played worse than their record and they're at three and four if you go through the bucks season they had the week one Cowboys game where the offense looked out of sync. They score 19 points, kick a bunch of field goals. Week two, they have the Saints game that they're down in. They like had, they had I think, three points through three quarters in that Saints game. And then they just get the Jameis Winston experience. And that's how they Winston throws, like, interception, pick six. Then there was, like, a fumble. There's like, another interception. All those turnovers happened in the fourth quarter of that game. So the Bucks end up winning that one. They have the 14-12 loss to the Packers, who we now know aren't even really that good. They had the 10-point loss to the Chiefs, the only game all season where they put up points. They scored 31 against the Chiefs. They were down by 17, basically the entirety of that game. They have the Falcons game. They win by 6 on a ridiculous penalty that would have given the Falcons the chance to get the ball back and maybe win, and then they lose straight up to the Steelers and Panthers. They've been bad all season. And I, th- I almost, oh, man, it's the now I'm getting too excited. I was gonna say the one and a half may almost be like generous that this line should be three. The Bucks don't really have a good win all season. Maybe that Cowboys game, and then Dak got hurt. Like his, he got hurt in that game. They Prescott looked even worse than than Brady has. It's just I don't know what this Bucks team is gonna do well. Um, and I, I think that's gonna be. I'm taking the Ravens too. A minus minus one and a half. Ravens offensively. They can run the get run the ball. That's all they have to do in this game, I think. Do you guys want to talk about the passing game? Can they get the passing game right? Do they have to? Should they even try? Or should they just do the 40 carries and, and live off of that? Vita Vea plays for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yeah, you should try and get the passing game going because that man could single-handedly wreck your run game. And 
Yeah, I, I get it. I, 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 I hear everything that you guys are talking about, but this Bucks team is still relatively talented. They are not the all-star team that was assembled in the Super Bowl year. I, I will grant you that, absolutely. Um, but they still have players all across the board. Uh, now, you know, Antoine Winfield Jr., who is one of their best players, is probably not going to play. Uh, he has an injury that might not make the short week. That helps with the passing game. You got to find a way to get Mark Andrews involved. Frankly, the fact that this is the first, the, the Browns were the first team that were able to take him away, really, is a testament to how good he is, but also a wake up call of like, hey, look, they're figuring out what you're doing, and Todd Bowles is a damn good defensive coach. You better figure it out. Also, Todd Bowles loves sending dudes. And guess what? You know what Lamar didn't do well against last week? Dudes. So make sure that you you have a plan for the blitz as well um, in this game. I don't know. I For me, it's probably just prime time. It's probably just Brady. I'm taking the Bucks plus one and a half. And I think that the Ravens blow a lead to Brady and it's that was vintage Brady down 17 in the fourth quarter, and he comes all the way back to win this game. Or it's the Ravens win by one on a Justin Tucker 78-yard field goal, and we go home being like, holy crap. How did they get? How did they pull that one out? But they did. I'm fine, and they win by one, and I still cover. Um, so I, I got the I got the Bucks there, um, and I, you know, I just – I can't do it yet. I cannot. I cannot in good. I was. I was positive all episode, guys. I cannot in good faith be like, yeah, no, they're back. It's fine. This will be a totally normal Ravens game. They'll run the ball. They'll play good defense. Special teams will be great. We are, we're just. These are massive assumptions we're taking with this clown show that shows up in purple and white every week. Uh, so yeah, get until until they can prove some sort of consistency to me. If there's a good team that they're playing and that good team is getting points, I'm going to take the good team and just maybe emotionally hedge it as it were. Tim, you, you took that the Ravens may win by one mm-hmm. and I'm going to take that as the positive. <laughs> You're still being positive <laughs> here. The line is one yeah. and a half. You're going to take the points, but the Ravens are going to win on a field goal that is still traveling as we record the next yes. day. Uh, let's turn to the gambling. I think, I think that's it. I think that's it for this game. It's Thursday night. It will be sloppy. Tim is absolutely right about that. It will be like a gross, weird, game it's thursday night uh, we should factor that in these games are always bad weird gross nasty off kilter all that let's just make it as simple as possible <laughs> you had no time to prep just run the ball pound the rock all right let's turn to the gambling <laughs> i had a pretty good week three and oh last week this is what we want we want win after win after win which the ravens by the way have yet to win two games in a row this season now would be the time, guys. Now is the stretch where you have very winnable games. It would be nice to steal this Bucks game. After that, a lot of winnable games. So let's see you win two in a row. I won three in a row, and that was just this weekend with my gambling picks. Had the Browns, which maybe for the three of us, as we talked about it last week, maybe the most guaranteed pick of all time, the Browns getting six and a half points in a division game against the Ravens. Got the Browns right. Got the Chiefs pick right. Uh, and got the Seahawks at plus seven against the Chargers. That was that was easy, easy pickings. Thirteen and nine now on the season, feeling good. I'm taking the Ravens as I mentioned, minus one and a half. That's just too f- few points to be, uh, you know, concerned about a backdoor cover, any of that, any of that noise. I think the Ravens end up winning this game, not by a lot, but maybe four, five, six points, uh, and they cover that number. 
I'm taking this game, and this it's just guaranteed that this goes disastrously wrong. Uh, the Titans are one and a half point favorites at the Texans. The Titans lost Week One on a field goal that they sh- that on a missed field goal against the Giants that they absolutely should have had. They lost Week Two, and then have since won four straight. They kind of seem to have more than righted the ship. Derrick Henry's in form. They're playing the Texans, who have one win and a tie. And the Titans are only one and a half point favorites. I'm taking it, and it's absolutely going to burn me uh, later this week. And then my third pick, the Las Vegas Raiders, who started out 0-3. I think they've also righted things a little bit. They're 2-1 since they are traveling to New Orleans, who I think are a bad football team. Uh, I think the Raiders were better than their 0-3 start. They're starting to get things on track a little bit. They ran the ball all day against the Texans which is the other reason I'm taking the Titans at minus one and a half. You know who's better than Josh Jacobs? Derrick Henry. Why do the Titans not win this game by 10 points? I don't know. I'm taking the Raiders minus two at New Orleans. I just think they're the better team top to bottom. I think they're going to make fewer mistakes. And I ended up picking three road favorites. What could possibly go wrong? But uh, those are my three picks for the week. I'm going to, so last week, two and one, won the Browns, lost the Falcons. The ATS is dead, uh, but you had to stay on it the undefeated ATS record, and I won the Giants plus three away to the Jags. Now, the Giants are plus three away to the Seahawks again, and it's another one of those, just like we thought last week, they, they want you to take the Giants. They want you to take the Giants. So maybe take the, you know, eat the trash, take the Giants, or take the other team. I can't, I, I'm staying off of it. It was on my maybe list. I was trying to figure it out. I'm staying off of it. So I'm going to go. I did Bucks obviously, uh, already plus one and a half. 49ers, minus two away to the Rams. Another uh, road uh, favorite. Kyle Shanahan owns, owns, O-W-N-S, I can spell, the Rams. And, you know, that trend might go away at some point. Sean McVay is a good coach. But the Rams, I know they just came off a bye, so we don't really know. Kind of bad, guys. Kind of all over the place. Offensive line stinks. Matt Stafford, old. Defense, not performing how it should. I know the Niners have injuries, but I can just see a first full week with Christian McCaffrey, and the 49ers are going to do some crazy S with that run game. They're going to be pulling Trent Williams, and they're going to have George Kittle lead blocking for McCaffrey, and then they'll have Debo on a reverse that they'll flip this way, that way. They're, they're going to have the Rams spinning. I think they win this game, uh, and they definitely win it by to, uh, more than two points. So give me 49ers. And then... It's tough because as we're recording, Monday Night Football uh, has not started yet. It's going to start in about an hour or so here. Um, and Mac Jones is apparently starting. So who knows what's going to go on there? Does he throw a game-breaking pick? And now it's Bailey's happy time again next week. But right now, the line for the Pats is minus 2.5 away to the Jets. The Jets, as we mentioned before, a sneaky dark horse candidate for saddest team of the week. Um, Brees Hall out for the season. Elijah Vera Tucker out for the season. Zach Wilson, still Zach Wilson. And the Pats are own, are minus two and a half against the Jets. I know the Pats don't have the talent they used to. Belichick loves beating the Jets. If you don't know, he was their head coach for like less than 24 hours before saying screw it and going to New England, and he has beat up on them ever since. Give me the Pats minus two and a half away to the Jets as well. Uh, yeah, I, I'm with you on that pick, uh, Tim. The, the Patriots uh, minus two and a half at the Jets just because – yeah, I don't trust Zach Wilson. I don't think he's – I think it's clear he, he hasn't taken a leap yet, certainly. And and that's a bad combo 
against Bill Belichick, even if I don't trust Mac Jones the most. I just losing Brees Hall, losing uh, Vera Tucker. I think it's just too much to overcome um, for the Jets, and I think they're going to really struggle this week. Um, I, I wanted to also commend you the 49ers Rams. That's a good one, I think, because uh, that'll be at least 50% 49ers fans, uh, if not more. That that they over 49ers fans overrun SoFi Stadium when they yeah. play the uh, the Rams down here. Um, so that's like another uh, benefit. Antonio, I stayed away from the Titans Texans line because I'm so scared by it. It makes no sense. I know Ryan Tannehill was a little banged up, but they just you know they beat. Uh, their division opponent by nine, ostensibly the second best team in the AFC South. They beat them by nine points, and then they're they're only a point and a half favorites against one of the worst teams in the NFL. It, it's very confusing, and I don't get it. So that scared me enough to to, to stay away. Um, so the uh, Tim, you mentioned them, the Giants. Maybe I'm going the other side. I believe in the Seahawks. It's minus three. Gina's playing well. Ken Walker's a stud. He was great at Michigan State, and he's been great in the NFL so far, picking up uh, the slack uh, after Rashad Penny uh, went down with injury. Um, you know, I, I think the Seahawks are weirdly – they seem to be getting better on the defensive side of the ball. You know, Tariq Wollin has, what, four picks or something for them. He's been really good. That was an impressive win on Sunday. So I think back at their, their stadium, I think their fans are fired up over this team. They're the only winning team in the NFC West, which is weird to say. Uh, the team everyone thought was clearly going to finish in last, uh, the Seahawks in that division. So I believe in the Seahawks. I just, I think the Giants on the road at some point, I think the Giants are a good team. They're certainly not as good as their record, though, and I think at some point the magic runs out, and I think it's in this game. Uh, they can't keep winning one-score games. <laughs> at some point, like, the Giants aren't going, you know, 15-2. and two. At some point they have to lose some games, and I think at Seattle is a good place uh, to do so. So that's my final pick for the week. I don't understand the Giants. I still think they're objectively a bad team, and mm. <laughs> yet they might be best team in the NFL it's almost (laughs) impossible for them to miss the playoffs at this point that's what's crazy (laughs) I don't get it Uh, all right the last thing to do is answer the random raven so Tim can you give us those clues one more time yeah so the bonus clue to start this is I was going to do someone way more depressing in that research of I'll just say it to help you guys out in the research of Sergio Kindle I stumbled upon this player (laughs) and decided to do somebody else here uh clue number one this two-time Super Bowl champion joined the Ravens as an undrafted free agent in 2010. Clue number two. He played in a total of 108 games across a seven-year career, but he only started in 24 games. He spent most of his career in Baltimore, but also spent a little bit of time in New York and New England as well. His best season on the defensive side of the ball for the Ravens was in 2016. The outside linebacker played in all 16 games, started in 11 of them, finished with 55 tackles, four tackles for loss and a sack. Uh, Clue number four, he was a crucial special teamer, however, earning all pro honors from Pro Football Focus in both 2014 and 2018 for his contributions on the third side of the ball. And clue number five, this Marshall product wore the same number as Brad Jackson, Antoine Barnes, Justin Houston, and a player that I am absolutely going to use for my next random Raven if you want to go ahead and get a jump on the research. I think I came up with the name. Wow. And I'm going to go first just because, Jace, you're confident about it, right? Uh, I'm confident I have a name. I don't, I'm not 100% sure this is him, but I have a good idea. Okay, let me go first because I'm probably less right than you are, and then you can confirm or deny here. 
if I'm right, I'm going to feel better about my my recent stretch here. I'm going to go Albert McClellan. That is that my name. That was the name I landed on as well. That That's who I... I'm not 100% sure he wore uh, number 50, if we haven't said, but uh, that was the name I also landed on, Antonio. One of these days, I would love for the you know the two people guessing to disagree because I feel like we always kind of fall on the same one or nobody has a name. But in this case, you're both right. It is Albert McClellan. Very nice job. Very, very. I was about nice to give job. myself like a 20 minute, you know, hiatus in the next episode. Have to just sit out for 20 minutes, suspended. You usually do that anyway with our ranting and ravings. <laughs> but that was a fantastic. I would have guessed we had already done him. So that's I a fantastic. I triple checked our list. There, deep dive. Yeah. When he popped in my head, I searched our Google Doc for him, and I returned to no results. So I was like, "Huh, I yeah," because I because I was like, "It seems like a guy we would have touched on." But I mean, the perfect definition of random Raven. He played a long time and uh, special teams mostly. <laughs> uh, yeah, great selection, um, and that is going to do it for us, guys. It's Thursday night against the Bucks. And then the Ravens get Saints, Panthers, Jags, Broncos, Steelers. This is a big one. This is a turning point game for this team. Do you want to go to the playoffs? Do you want to be a contender? Beat Tom Brady in Tampa. It's Thursday night. We're jacked up to watch it. We'll be back next week to talk all about it. For Tim Horson and Jay Sevens, I am Antonio Barbera. Thank you so much for listening to us. And pod like a Raven, we will see you next week. <laughs>